This is She Sparks Tech, a podcast about women who take technology to heart in their careers. We will explore stories about women who think creatively, find new directions, solve problems, and chase passions, all through technology. I'm your host, Casey Bertelsman, and I am excited about showcasing amazing women and their careers, covering both expected and unexpected directions to expand our idea of tech careers, and in hopes of inspiring each of us to think a little bit bigger. Sonia, it's so great to have you here with me and to chat. We had a little bit of a conversation earlier about pronouncing names. I was very, very determined to get that correct here. But we're going to talk a little bit about how you landed in people ops and talent acquisition. So it's really great to have you here. Thank you. It's so good to be here. I'm super excited to get to chat. Wonderful. I thought we'd start a little bit by talking about your educational background, which was not in the tech field um, category, correct? Yes, not at all in the tech field category. I think there are some parallels to talent acquisition, but for the most part, I think like if we bring it all the way back to when I was choosing what to do, and you and I spoke about this a little bit, I think, you know, in high school, we have very like structured linear paths that are that are offered to us. And going outside of those paths is just not really something that you can even conceptualize. But um, so I, I actually chose to do what's called child and youth care up in Canada. Uh, it's kind of a mix between like a psychologist and a social worker and yeah, basically everything that encompasses the social needs um, of at-risk youth and children. And I think, you know, being like a 17, 18 year old, I was like, I'm going to save the world and save all these kids. Uh, and it was like a really a kind of thought, but then you get out and working and you're like, oh, wow, social structures are not in place to support uh, the people that do this job. And I will burn out and I will not make any money to support this. And so I kind of had like an aha moment where I was like, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> I, you know, this isn't working. And so, yeah, so that, that was kind of a little bit about my, my schooling. But I guess, you know, my transition into tech really was by fluke. Yeah. And so I guess as you're realizing that you want to move out of, um, I guess, a little more of the social work space, what, you know, what did that look like as you're recognizing that? And you're like, oh, no, now what do I do? Um, How was that process for you? Yeah, it was it was scary, right? Because all of a sudden you're kind of like your whole ideas of what life was going to be like and what you were going to do are just kind of changed and like I said because the education system is set up in a way that it's very much like you go to school for this thing and that thing leads you to your job that you then carry forward for decades right and you become an expert at that craft um I literally remember just kind of being like I I don't know what to do I I don't know what else I can do with this background with this degree right it was almost like in my head one plus one equals two so I did the schooling I did the degree and then that equaled the career and there wasn't deviation from that but I actually at the time uh, was very much into fitness and working out and all that stuff and I was managing a health club actually in downtown Ottawa Canada and where Shopify originated. And so I had had a lot of exposure, I think, to this idea of tech and like, and, and what Shopify was doing. But again, 
at that time, no conception of what tech was or even what this company was like, because it just wasn't on my radar. So to answer your question, I was freaking out a bit. And then I was, you know, talking to people and trying to get a sense of the landscape and things like that. But really it was a lot of like, oh no, you know, what have I just done <laughs> type of style? And then, you know, past that point, I don't think I ever actually stopped to be like, what do you want to do? Right. I don't think I even had time, um, which I think, you know, you're trying to make money. You're trying to pay off those student loans and those debts. Like you want to, you know, you want to get into something as quickly as possible. So definitely scary, but opened my eyes, I think, to like what was actually available to me at that time. Yeah, without a doubt. The one thing that I I tend to say is, um, you know, you reach a point in whatever career that you've worked for through your your degree and the starting of your years or wherever you're at. And when you realize that you want or need a change, you know, that switch comes with some amount of grief as you're mourning what you thought was going to happen and what you were going to be. Um, would you say that's part was part of your experience and choosing to leave also? Yeah, yeah. I think like grief is actually a really good way of putting it. Um, and again, I think it all stems back to this like idea that you need to decide what you want to do and that's it, right? Um, and I think the thing that actually tech specifically that what it does really well actually is it allows you to kind of think about like that doesn't actually necessarily have to be the case. You don't need to pick one thing and just go that route all the time, right? And just be super focused. You can and some people do and that's great, but you do have options. Um, so the grief for sure, I think also it's just being scared and fear, right? Like that's really the thing. But with that also, I think comes this opportunity, right? And this opportunity to kind of almost reinvent yourself to be like, oh, I guess I'm not that person that's going to save the world. I guess I can go do something else. And I think that's really powerful and really interesting. And I think a lot of people that um, potentially don't lean into that fear, in this particular scenario of like the grief and kind of figuring out what's next, um, they lose out on a lot of opportunities. And unfortunately, I, I find I see that often with females specifically, actually, where it's like, if I don't meet all of the criteria of this job posting, there's no way that I can apply, right? Because I don't, I don't fit the bill. And that's super unfortunate to me. That's actually one thing that I hope we can all change and <laughs> in tech as females. So I, sorry, I went on a little tangent there, but yes, there is a, a level of grief um, and I think a, a high degree of fear as well. Yes. And so you said that you learned a little bit about Shopify working with a health club, I guess, in your area. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and where the connection to actually work for Shopify comes in? Yeah, for sure. So um, this health club was literally a kilometer away from Shopify. Um, the COO of Shopify at the time was actually a member of ours. I had friends. Ottawa is very small. It's not that big. And so I had actually friends that worked at Shopify. And at the time, they were hiring a lot of entry-level kind of customer support positions. And I just had so many friends that were like, dude, just apply, apply. Like, it'll, you know, just what's worse that could happen? And in my mind, though, again, coming off of this fear, like, I knew how to use a computer, but I wasn't tech savvy, I, don't, I wouldn't say wasn't like, you know, coding or doing any of that stuff. And to me, this seemed like a daunting thing. Like, wow, this is completely different than what I just gone to school for for four years. Like, I don't know if I can do it. 
anyway, after some convincing and some chats and stuff like that, I was like, oh, let's see. Let's just see what happens. Um, so I actually submitted an application, um, got through the interview process and ended up landing the job. And I think even like on my first day at Shopify, you know, in the support organization, I remember actually just being like, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> can I do this? Right? Like, is this something that I can actually do? Um, and truth be told, even at that time, like talent acquisition to me, I had just gone through this like amazing interview process. So I understood that that was an option, but I think actually what um, made me fall in love with talent acquisition was that experience of, of the recruiting process, right? Um, and so to me at that time, I kid you not, the first week of Shopify, it was like, you can either be customer support or you can be in talent acquisition, like product engineering, like customer success, all of these other areas, like just, I didn't know they existed at all. Right. Um, so yeah, so I guess I kind of like stumbled into it by virtue of the fact that I had friends, but also I think I just kind of was like, what's the worst that can happen? And then ended up in that position of like the best case scenario. Right. Yes. And I mean, like so many people, you don't realize, you know, Shopify is made up of so many different pieces. I would say the immediate ones people would expect is, you know, the the coding, because at minimum, you know, that's what's required for a website of some kind. And then the customer support, because you're going to be working through that. And then I guess if they're hiring some form of like HR, talent acquisitions, combination, however big it is. But there are so many other pieces to a tech company, no matter what the size, that actually give it its like the full roundedness to actually function. Totally. Yeah. And I think unless you've gone and done some like post-secondary business degree, but even that I would argue doesn't give you the full scope, like you just don't know. And it's in constant evolution, which is the other thing, right? Like every day, you know, I actually just had an intake this week with, um, with my company Noibu for a position that I was like, that's really cool. I have never seen this, you know, in other organizations. Uh, it's almost like, you know, these really innovative companies come up with these roles that suit the business need and aren't in that kind of that directive of like schooling, right? It's very much so experience-based and it's just, and it's really, really cool. The unfortunate part though, again, is that like far too little people know about them or get into them like way late. You know, how would you even know to search for something like that on LinkedIn unless you found someone else that does it when they start coming up with such you know, unique, purposeful roles. Totally. Yeah. Or I don't know, or you just like work in the company and you, you hear about it. Right. Like, which is also great. Like, I think that's a great entry into it. Right. But I also feel like, so coming back to kind of my education, right. So my education wasn't again, dealing with at risk youth. Now, like what's the parallel to being in talent acquisition? Well, you're talking to people right? You're getting people's stories. It's a lot of that active listening. It's a lot of extraction of key detail and understanding those key details and matching it up with the business and or the individual. And so, you know, I think, okay, you got, you've gone to school for this thing, right? This pathway, but to know that there, what else can you do with that? Right. And what are the skills? Like not only in the job profile or just the title, like what skills do you need to be successful in this particular role and what backgrounds of schooling can actually get you there? I think that's really the biggest takeaway for me really throughout this transitioning experience. It's like, just because the schooling doesn't match up with whatever the perceived role is, doesn't mean that the person doesn't possess the skills necessary for it. 
Yes, it very much. It's a very unique skill to know how um, to outline your skills as transferable. Because you can come from the construction industry, like I did as an engineer, managing, you know, millions of dollars worth of work. And then, you know, I've interviewed with tech companies who, unless I'm able to like show the management pieces in there, they're like, we have no idea how to like quantify what you do if I don't, you know, say this is the parallel for the work you do. Because just because we're building a building, you know, just the same way you can build an internet product, but you have to have the skill to present it that way. Otherwise you're easily looked over. Totally. Yeah. And it all starts like, I mean, I guess that's a great you know segue into like, how do you present yourself if you're going to transition? Right. Or it doesn't even need to be a transition. I think it's actually just, if you're going to go and try to get a new role in general, right. You know, I, I always like to tell people as a you know, you've probably got about 10 seconds per resume. And some people, when I say that, they're like, you spend only 10 seconds on a resume. And I go, well, let's think about, you know, the, the average size of applicant for an engineering role, let's say, can be upwards of 300 to 500 applicants. So yes, you know, 10 seconds is actually quite a long time. Um, if we're actually going to put those numbers together and, and equate that to time, right? And so what's the, the biggest thing? Well, in those 10 seconds, what do you, what does the recruiter want to see, right? Or the hiring manager, whoever. Well, what they want to see is simply put data facts, right? That pertain to the role. Like what would make you an interesting candidate to this person? To me, oftentimes I will tell people like, if I have to actually sit and read a, a, an essay on your experience, you've lost me because I simply just don't have that time, right? Um, but if you can summarize in the case that you just made, right? Um, if you can summarize your experiences for like how it translates to the job posting, there's a higher chance that I'm going to look at that and say, yeah, like that makes sense to me. This, you know, these are the points on the job posting. They've outlined this in their experience. I can draw parallels there right away. And, and that warrants further reading. So I'd say the first thing for me, um, and I think for anybody kind of looking into you know, getting a new role um, is making sure that that resume is like tight, right? Put together tight, clear, concise, not convoluted. It's so important, like so, so important. Yeah, so you're looking for, you know, bullet points, lists, like simplicity from that standpoint. So like easy to scan. Easy to scan um, and really kind of, we live in a world, I think in tech too, where a lot of things are data-driven now to a certain degree, of course. And, and so, you know, easy to read kind of bullet points for sure. And again, t closely tied to the job description um, with the expectations in the role. Uh, because again, when a recruiter is actually getting a role, um, what they're looking for from the hiring manager is like, okay, what are the requirements, right? What do you need? And so if you can display that you possess those requirements or that you've had experience with them, that's a good sign, right? That that makes the light bulb go off, so to speak, in our brain and says, oh, I, you know, I want to continue reading and I want to, you know, I want to talk to this person. If it's just a whole bunch of information scattered all over the place that doesn't really have much of a tie to the job description, it's very difficult to parse out where that parallel and where that alignment comes from. Um, and oftentimes I find people get lost there, right? Um, and there becomes this kind of barrier to getting um, a good holistic view of the experience as it relates to the role. Yeah. Um, and I guess on that note, from your experience, when, you know, you're looking through resumes, it's, you know, it's fairly common for online applications to be sifted through before they even reach 
a person. Um, so as far as like actually getting it to show up, you know, on your desk, in your inbox, wherever you're viewing it, what kind of suggestions do you have to at least make it through an electronic sifter at that point? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, personal opinion, I, I don't like those at all. Um, I don't use them and I will fight until the end to not use them. Now I can understand why they're very important and why they're a really great tool for companies that are doing large scale hiring at high, high, high volumes, because again, it is very difficult to spend that much time on each resume. What I will say to your question though, is a keywords that's how they do it, right? Um, so you want to make sure that you're hitting some of those keywords, like I said, in the requirements aligned with the points in your resume, take up some of the terminology that's used there. Uh, it'll it'll run through those screeners and it'll kind of highlight those same keywords and you'll probably actually get a return there quite, quite nicely. I think, you know, again, I personally think that that's one of the drawbacks of recruiting in today's age. It's that it's the process in the front end are being automated and you're actually losing out on really qualified candidates um, simply because they haven't added those keywords. Um, but I also will say that there's a fine balance to be had. It's almost like I can tell if somebody's just taken those keywords out of a posting and just slap them on their resume just because they want to be seen. Um, and that also can be a negative. So I think finding the balance between the two is is necessary to get you past that first round. Yes. Because I mean, that's something that I, I, like many other people, have like fought through. You're like, I literally matched up eye to eye and it didn't get, you know, two minutes later, sorry, you're not moving through. You're like, yeah, damn. Like, yeah. Well, it also depends on kind of what the company sets for the parameters. Like, usually it's keyword based. Um, I mean, I'm sure that there's so many systems out there now and like automation tools that do it in a variety of different ways, like whether it's location or I like, all sorts of things, but, you know, keywords typically from what I've seen is, is the big one, obviously, you know, and some of them actually do have like a scoring system based on like how many keywords you actually have in there. So it complicates matters further, unfortunately, you know, again, we're going up against a machine. So like there is no true and tried method of like getting through hundred percent of the time, unfortunately. Um, but I would actually probably call that out for smaller organizations that are using it as a way to save time. Like I would fight for not doing it, if I'm being completely honest, just because you lose people. I mean, I would say, you know, on a candidate side that my experiences going through the interview process have been exponentially better when I've been able to reach out to someone in talent acquisition or someone's able to connect me immediately and saving like that online application as the very last thing that they need just because they need you in their system to finalize the hiring. I'm like, but this is so much better because I actually get my questions answered and someone can tell me like, yes, you actually like this aligns. It's a very good fit or like this job's better it's one of those places where I haven't seen the tech that surpasses the people aspect there yet. And I don't think we ever will. And, and truthfully, I think that's one of the superpowers of having a really great talent acquisition team, right? Like to me, one of my pillars that I operate with hundred percent of the time and all my rules in this particular field is like candidate experience is the thing that will beat out everything, every other company. Right. And that starts with the application process. So if you're, you know, even unable to get past that first screen or like your, your example, you know, you said you commit, you submit it. And then two minutes later, it's like, sorry, you're not a fit, right? Like 
what kind of message is that relaying? You know, like you probably after that experience, and this is my assumption of how I would feel, I'd be like, I'm not applying there anymore. Like, why would I want to? Do you know what I mean? Like, Even if you spend all your time, you're like, I'm putting the keywords together. They're going to be in like the cover letter and the resume and like, check, check, check. I hit all the boxes. And how long do you spend for them to take less than two minutes to discard you? Totally. And, you know, there are situations where, okay, that's their only option for X, Y, Z reason, but you miss out on really great people. (laughs) That's exactly it. Yeah. And I think like, you know, one of our greatest sourcing tools that we have as recruiters is actually our previous funnels and our previous pipelines, right? Like those are people that you already know have been engaged. They, they, you know, they like your company, they want to join. And so if you're leaving that sort of like a bad taste in someone's mouth um, after a two minute experience, it's like, A, they're going to be detractors. They're probably going to tell people around them not to apply there or their terrible experience. And so you're not going to, your employer branding is going to take a hit. The person itself is not going to want to apply if they do feel ready or they see another role that they like. Uh, And just in general, it's like just a crappy experience, truly just a crappy experience. And your candidate experience is what wins out nine times out of 10 throughout the journey. So uh, yeah, as you can tell, I have strong opinions about those automated systems. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I will not be using them ever unless I absolutely have to. But even then, I think I'll always fight for humans to look over resumes. Yeah, wherever it can be an option, especially when you, you know, you've learned to do it so well. Um, you can really pick things out. And that comes back to the comment you said earlier about, you know, you don't have to have 100% of everything on there to apply. You don't have to align perfectly. I mean, my opinion is if you align perfectly, you probably need to look above that role. It's time for a promotion. But I guess what kind of um, advice do you give someone who's trying to decide what that right percentage is? Um, or is that a question to like ask a recruiter about? Or where do you um, where do you kind of fall with that? Yeah, so that's an interesting, an interesting question. And I don't actually know that I have a percentage in terms of, you know, the fit. I think if you've done a majority of the role expectations or the requirements, I think that that's warrants enough of a reason to apply. You know, I've also had it in situations where folks haven't actually done the job ever, but they explained in their cover letter, like why they would like to tap into this field or, you know, why they think that they might be a good fit, transferable skills, things like that. Um, And they come up with really compelling stories. That's the other part of this, right? Like CVs, I think are great. Again, super long essays. We don't have that much time, but if you can make it into a readable format, that's like fun for me to read. And like, I'm excited to read it. um, Then, you know, you'll get eyes on it. And I think that's also a place where you can kind of tell that story a little bit more. Right. I just think in general though, and I think there's, there's definitely stats about this. Like, I think it's like men, you know, will apply to positions that they are underqualified for like nine times out of 10. Let's say that's anecdotal. I don't actually have the full stat women. It's like, three out of 10 women will apply for a role that they don't meet all the requirements, right? And it's like, well, why is that? Like, why are we doing that, right? So I think just in general, it's like, if you have a pretty solid understanding of the role, the landscape of the role, some of the requirements, you've met some of the expectations in previous roles, hit that apply button. Make sure, you know, those experiences are at the top of the list in your experiences on your resume, but then hit the reply. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Otherwise, okay. So you spent what, 30 minutes, an hour, and it's maybe not going anywhere. But how long would you have wondered about it if you hadn't? 
Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And, you know, I think that there is a level of just in general in tech, I think there's this level of like, oh, we have to have all, everything in order to do the role. And that's simply not true, right? Nine times out of 10, every single person that's worked in tech has some skills and experience related to their field. But, you know, I would say a good portion of the job or a new role that they've taken has been just resourcefulness, thinking on their feet, trying to figure it out. And so if we just take that principle, it's like, well, why wouldn't the same thing apply to when you're applying for a role, right? You don't need to know everything. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Is that, does that answer your question? <laughs> yes. Yes, I think it does. Okay. You know, it's one of those things that's always case by case, but don't let that be the reason you don't apply it's, you know, it takes a little bit of thought to actually be like this one, like it doesn't matter that I haven't done this one, but this one is probably the most important piece. So how do I emphasize that and learning ability around the other pieces? Exactly. Like if you're an engineer, right. Um, or you're not an engineer, sorry, but you're applying for an engineering position, but you don't know how to code. Like, obviously there's going to be some trickiness there, right? You can't actually do the, the main skill. But let's say you're an engineer and you're applying for a lead position or a project lead position, but you haven't actually project led officially yet. It's like, okay, but you still have been in the role. You've been probably dealing with project leaders. You've probably been dealing with leads. So you have an understanding of the role. Like you can probably speak to it. The rest of like, let's just get you in front of somebody to chat about it. You know, the team will then make the decision on whether or not that experience is completely relevant or not, or if they need more of it, like what have you, right? But to not apply for a role simply for the fact that you haven't held the title or, you know, done the role and, you know, it's, it's a, in its officiality is just silly to me. It's like, that, that doesn't make sense, right? Um, go for it, apply. <laughs> Yeah, we're not trying to apply for something that's same level unless you're in a situation that's, I have to get out right now. If we're applying for something new, we want to apply up and that's going to require some learning, which should be known on both sides. Absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think, again, that's another thing that I see all too often with females in general in tech. They don't like to apply for roles that are up. Right. And then, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but then you can get into compensation also, right. Where it's like, they just don't even ask for the equivalent or they feel like they have, you know, they're not worthy of asking for that number when in reality, all it takes is the asking of it. You may not get it, but you will spark a conversation around it. Right. And you will probably get more than what you initially thought just for asking. Right. And so I think like there, there's a lot of things that we see on the recruiting side of things that really actually draw a, a large line in the sand between gender differences between males and females. And like we've been talking about now is be applying to certain roles. And then once the application's there, once we've gone through the interview process, even asking compensation, that's a huge one. All the way through to performance management, I would say even so is like there's just such a difference right? Of this like fear. And I don't, I know where it comes from, but I'm also like, I'm like, come on, we got this. Like we can do this, you know? Um, and I hope that the tides shift entirely. I think they are shifting, but I hope that they go even further so that we're just very equitable in the way that we, our confidence is even portrayed, right? Without a doubt. I would say, you know, we're seeing more and more, especially on an entry level. It's always hard to see it, you know, move up sooner 
And there's something to be said for when it, you're starting first day fresh out of school or boot camp or whatever it is. And you can look up the ladder and see people who look like you. And there's still so many places you can't. But like it, it doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, dealing with the whatever burnout women reach, you know, midway through their tech career is another conversation also. But, you know, the hope is especially just moving, seeing something, moving the needle. Definitely. But, you know, I also think that this is, it's something that I'm very passionate about, especially within talent acquisition, because I think it's our job in talent acquisition in tech specifically. And I'll probably, I can put that on other industries as well, but I'll go tech just because that's what I'm most familiar with. It's to call out the gender inequality and the gender differences within teams, right? Like you can't, sit and question why you don't have female applicants or females accepting offers if they're coming against an all-male team like like that to me they go hand in hand right and so if you want to see people in those positions and you want to you know the company and town acquisition really and people ops need to be able to say like hey this is what's wrong right and we need to fix this now we need to rectify it to get to get to a place where, you know, we can bring in more junior folks that can see a growth pathway, right? Because we like to see, you know, we feel comfort in like-minded people that we can, you know, that are like us. And, and that is something that we need to be really cognizant of on the talent acquisition side. So I think we're, we're starting to get there. We're, we're, you know, making some shifts, like we were saying, we have a long ways to go. Um, but it all starts, I think, with that apply button. Like it really does. Yeah, I've I've seen like some talent acquisition people share, you know, like where the hiring manager's like, we need to hire more diverse teams. And the talent acquisition person's like, great, yeah, I'm all about it. And they're like, but you know, we need to do this. It's like, I gave you a diverse applicant pool. You did not hire from it. So, you know, we want to see people applying for it. And then those applications moved forward. And ultimately the hiring manager also needs to buy into that to see it move forward. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, and I think like there's a lot of biases, you know, people have unconscious bias. It's how we operate. That's how we generalize the world. I get that. And, but, you know, bringing up the diverse pipeline is really interesting topic because it's almost like, like, how do you differentiate, right? Like, how do you make those decisions? And, and these can be contentious topics, right? And they're hard to talk about often. That's the other thing, right? But if you don't talk about it, then it's not in your awareness. And if it's not in your awareness, then you're obviously not going to get anywhere with it, right? So difficult conversations that need to be had. And, you know, I think and it, it oftentimes can be really foundational too, is what I found. Like, if you set the tone from the foundation of gender equality, quality in interview practices and just in hiring in gender, general, right? You start to see this like upward mobility of all genders, like of everyone, right? People see people like them. If you start too late, that's when you actually have a huge gap. And then it's really hard, really, really hard to catch up, right? Because you already have people in established roles. And so, so yeah, so I, again, kind of circling back, it's like, there's a lot to be done here. And I think on the talent acquisition side, it, kind of, it starts with us. Always. It always will. Without a doubt. I guess pivoting a little bit, you know, if we are looking ahead for the new year, especially anyone who's like, I want to change jobs. I've been working on it. You know, is November too late to realistically be applying for jobs as a talent acquisition expert? Like, are you 
looking at anyone before the end of the year or have you just completely checked out at this point? <laughs> That's so funny. That's amazing. Um, so have I checked out? No, but I will say I kind of make it a expectation with all of my hiring managers that like I will not place somebody in a role. So we do a shutdown for the holidays and it's usually about two weeks. And so I will never place somebody in a role like a week before we leave on shutdown. I think it's just like it's bad candidate experience actually. And then they have two weeks off and they come back like and they're supposed to be ready to go. Like that's not fair. So what I will say to that is I oftentimes will keep going with my applicant pools. I'll keep screening, sourcing, I'll book some calls for, for January, but we do it with the understanding that like we are going to be taking a large break. So what I would say for applicants or for folks potentially transitioning, you can certainly submit applications throughout the holiday season in that off time in December. You know, I would probably say wait till January to really submit that button because that's when you know all teams more or less have a really good idea where they're hiring what they're going to be hiring for they've just had some time off with their families and so things could change and shift a little bit about rural requirements so definitely hit that button then if you would like to be like at the top of the list for a recruiter uh, during that time because it's so quiet, you know, you could send actually a LinkedIn message or something if you know who the recruiter is and say, hey, I hope you're enjoying your holidays. I'm just, you know, I'm planning on applying in January. Um, you know, I'd really love a chance to talk. Just that simple note is like a really nice thing. It kind of keeps candidates fresh in your brain for when you're off. And then in January, things get really busy, right? So it's a little harder then to like reply to those things. But yeah, so I would say like, you know, definitely early November for sure submit that application. As soon as you start to get into December, it's a little tricky to put people through processes and stuff. And there's just a higher chance of things being delayed, which sucks from a candidate perspective. So January is the way to go then. So maybe during that time, refining the resume, reaching out, kind of forming a little bit of a deeper connection is the way to go. Okay. Yeah. I love that option, you know, trying to like a lower level network because there's only so much commitment people are going to have in December to follow through with new new discussions and things, but not just letting it go to waste either. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, like some of the top people that I've hired have really resonated with me because they've oftentimes done something that's not like, hey, I just applied to your role. Like, it's funny how many messages you get like that on LinkedIn, like I do. Um, and I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, like... I, I want to get back to you as well, but we're all human, right? And we all have a capacity for time and we all have the same hours of uh, the same hours in a day. And so those, those personalized messages really mean a lot. Um, and especially when you're kind of off and you're supposed to be taking a break, I really appreciate the ones that are just kind of more like, Hey, I'm here. I'm going to do this thing. I see you have this role or maybe the role isn't up yet, but I'm available for X, Y, and Z. These are my skills. Um, when you're back in January, like I would love to chat with you. I would probably actually send my Calendly link like right then to book the chat right away for me with me, right? Um, To make sure that we have that slotted. I think that's just like a really nice way to kind of introduce yourself. Yeah, taking the time to be a little bit more personable about it because ideally that's the kind of person you want to bring into the company culture also. For sure, yeah, yeah. And like not to say that it's necessary by any means, but I just find it's a nice a nice alternative to just submitting an application and just kind of like hoping and waiting. Those ones always get my attention, I'll be honest. Yes. Um, I guess, would you say that like if they are not as personal and it feels like someone just like looking at your attention that may, not necessarily makes you less likely to look at it, but you aren't immediately like pulling it up? 
Yeah, that's it's just, so this is like a pretty interesting topic. I think right now on LinkedIn, it's almost like every day I open my LinkedIn and I see like, oh, a recruiter said this, like about a candidate or the way that they acted. And then on the other side, right? Like, oh, this recruiter did this, right? I wouldn't say, so for me personally, I can't speak for everyone. I think it's just, it all comes back to being a human and like understanding that we're all human, right? And so there's a level of empathy and respect that I think everyone deserves. And so what doesn't get my attention is like rude, passive aggressive comments, which sometimes happen. Unfortunately, they do. Those don't because then it's just like, to me, it's like, okay, like I get it. You know, like we just need to relax. Another thing I think that like doesn't really resonate with me is like trying to almost like give me all the information in a message, like, like give me your life story, right? Again, like we can have that discussion if we choose to set up a time to talk type thing. I, I honestly just defer to like, let's just like be friends, right? And like, just be nice and you'll get a really positive response. But as soon as we kind of enter into that, like disrespectful, passive aggressive, like, hey, notice me type of style. Like I find, I just find myself being like, okay, like we, we don't want to go there, right? Yeah, too much. And too much, too much, exactly, too much. Yeah, I, I guess like on I have two kind of points to add on to that. I can see from the candidate's perspective, especially in this climate, right? Like you're submitting applications, people aren't getting back to you, or you know, they're taking a long time to get back to you. Like that sucks. I get that. On the recruiter side, though, I can see it also. Like I see you, you have thousands of applicants usually that you have to get through. You've got however many people in your funnels that you need to check in with on a daily basis, right? There's a lot going on. And I think that synergy kind of we all need to meet in the middle for that balance of like respect and just being nice, <laughs> right? On both ends. And hopefully we can find some commonality there. Without a doubt. Um, I think I just have one one other question um, that I wanted to pull out. Um, so I guess if you're in the hiring process and, you know, if you, whether, whatever stage it's in and someone is telling you, you know, like we're with other, like we're waiting to move forward until we're done with people and however long, and then it's been weeks at some point when they're still talking to other candidates, but they have not given you a, like, let's talk again or like, no. At what point do you say, like, you should just cut losses because they're stringing you along? That's a really good question. I mean, I hope a lot of companies aren't doing that, though I know it's probably the case and that's really unfortunate. I think like I I would like to set expectations with every person. So I think on the candidate side, you know, when you're wrapping up your interview with the recruiter or even with a hiring manager, just asking for, you know, what's the timeline expectation and then kind of working from there. So an example would be, you know, if I get asked that question, after you know the initial call, I know for myself that usually it'll be two or three days on either end if it's a yes or a no. So you know, back for me by Friday, whatever end of day. If you don't, you know, I would say send me a follow up note just in case, right? And then we'll have that conversation. Uh, if it's with a hiring manager, I think it's not to say hiring managers aren't you know amazing or anything, but they do have a lot going on within their roles and then hiring. Um, so if it's with a hiring manager, I always say, follow up with the recruiter and say, I spoke to so-and-so, they mentioned getting back to me within two or three days. Like I look forward after to hearing, you know, hearing back. The reason for this is just to reaffirm for the recruiter to know kind of what the expectation was. Um, so there's nothing lost in translation. When you should cut your ties is when you absolutely do not hear from the company after following, following up. 
for at least like four or five days. Even at that though, I would probably say like, send a follow-up if you really like the company, send another one, just say like, hey, just again, a gentle nudge, not that you should ever have to do this, but just as a courtesy. Uh, and then at that, that point, you don't hear anything, cut those ties, cut those ties and probably leave a candidate experience feedback survey if they have one and please let them know because at that point, um, that's just too long. That's not nice, right? Yes, <laughs> without a doubt. Um, did you have any, I guess, last things that you'd like to share or anything, any notes you want to end this on? Yeah, um, well, I think for me right now, uh, just kind of seeing and, and building out teams within tech and stuff like that, I just really want to drive home this idea that like, regardless male or female, um, but I'm going to veer a little bit more towards the female side of things because I know it happens. Click the apply button, send a compelling story, send an email to the recruiter explaining your situation, your story. You know, if you're looking to transition into tech as a whole or just get into a new company, new role, you know, tell people your story and don't, don't get discouraged um, if it doesn't go well the first time or if it doesn't receive, you know, the same kind of uh, appreciation as you thought it, it might. I think the more that you put yourself out there, the more that you try different tactics of getting people's attention, the more that you try to like apply for roles that might be that one above, um, the higher your chances of actually landing one. And I think we need more of that. We need more women having confidence in themselves to be able to apply for those roles because then they'll get into those roles and then we can create more of this change. So I'll leave it at that. Just click the apply button. We want to hear from you. Yes, I I love, that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for, for wrapping it up so beautifully. You're very welcome. I'm glad I could do that. Yeah, it was so wonderful having you join me today. I think everything we talked about is really valuable. I know it's a time when so many people are exploring if a new opportunity is right for them. So the more information that we can share, the better it is for everyone else. I'm not looking to be a gatekeeper um, in the process of things. Nice. I love that. I love that. Well, it was so great chatting with you. Um, and yeah, I mean, if I can help anyone, if anybody has questions, like you can connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, all that good stuff, send me a quick note. I'm all for it. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. Yes. I'll be sure to put your um, the link to connect with you on LinkedIn in the show notes for anyone who wants to reach out, connect in whatever way that looks. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Sonia. Thank you so much for taking the time to join Sonia and me today. This episode is going to be one that I think is really, really powerful moving forward through the life of my podcast, especially personally, because being confident in my decisions through the hiring process is very important. I think whether you are looking to be hired or you want to hire yourself. And it gives you great new opportunities throughout your career. So I hope everyone who listens finds value and that you share it with a friend if you do. I know I personally will be sharing snippets of this very often because of how powerful this conversation really was for me. So if you do not already, or if you are not already connected with Sonia on LinkedIn, you can find her link in the show notes. 
and she would love to connect with anyone who's interesting in about the roles that she's hiring for or just to connect and grow your network in general. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'm wonderfully amazed that it has been so perfect for the timing. Um, It's one of my favorites so far, I think, because of how useful it is to all kinds of listeners. So if you do like it, please rate, review, and subscribe it. It makes it easier for the podcast to be found by more people. And if you haven't already, please connect with me on Instagram. It's where I'm currently most active on social media at SheSparksTech. And get ready for some really awesome things that will be coming in 2023. I have an amazing team that's helping me get there and I cannot wait to see the power that SheSparks Tech is bringing in 2023. I'll see you again in two weeks. It is a solo episode coming at you built off of this episode a bit talking about transferable skills and you won't want to miss it. These two podcasts, I think, are going to be some of the best of what I put out this year. So make sure you join and make sure you share with friends. Cheers. Cheers.